Thanks for tuning in for Access U. Tom, Tom Williams, before we jump into today's uh, fun and interesting uh, topic of children's literature, a follow-up from yesterday's program. You'll recall we talked about uh, State Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk's HB 76, her bill on the End of Life Options Act. That's the uh, title. And uh, we got this email after the program from Sam. Sam says, I was in training and couldn't listen. I am in favor of very liberal right-to-die laws. Why should the state or federal government make those decisions for me, my life? Just like a woman's right to make decisions about their own reproductive rights, those decisions should be made by the individual. I'm not religious, so why should a church organization make such decisions for me? That is Sam. Headline of uh, Sam's email is, Is there going to be a rebroadcast? And uh, just as a matter of course, we do rebroadcast Access Utah 7 p.m. Um, in the evening. And you can uh, find uh, these programs uh, at upr.org. And uh, thanks for listening. Welcome to Access Utah. From time to time, we gather as a UPR community to compile a book list. On the program today, we're going to concentrate on children's books. What are you reading to your kids? What are your children reading? What's your favorite children's book of all time? How about a new title or something you've just discovered that you'd like to share with us? In addition to you, we'll be talking with Provo Library Director Gene Nelson and University of Utah Associate Professor of Educational Psychology Lauren Liang. They, along with Utah author Ali Condi, are headlining an event presented by the Salt Lake Tribune and the King's English Bookshop, celebrating the Newbery Medal and great children's literature. Gene Nelson is a Newbery Committee member, and Lauren Liang is a Caldecott Committee member, and the, that event is November 21st, starting at 7 o'clock at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. We're going to ask our guests to debate their favorite Newbery and Caldecott winners and to talk about what makes a children's book great. We'll ask them to list some of their favorite titles. And you can send us your list right now to upraccess@gmail.com. Would love to know. Reaching back, your favorite book from growing up, your favorite book of your kids right now, um, anything you'd like to list in this topic of children's literature, uh, send it to upraccess@gmail.com. Upraccess@gmail.com. You can also call us 800-826-1495. I've got my list ready, and we've got a couple of emails already that we'll get to as well. We bring in uh, right now uh, Lauren uh, Liang, who joins us uh, from uh, Salt Lake City, professor at uh, University of Utah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And uh, Gene Nelson, uh, who's director of the Provo Library, joins us. Thanks for joining us. You betcha. Good morning. Good morning. Um, let me uh, let me start off, before we jump into some things I want to talk about, I want to talk about Newbern and Caldecott. Um, maybe just uh, starting with Lauren what, if you were forced to run from a burning uh, house with your favorite children's book of all time, what would that be? That's a hard one to answer because I was running. I'd have my hands full of books. <laughs> You'd have a bunch of books. Okay. <laughs> all right. This one. But if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with a, a Newbery winner. Um, so as, as Jean and I are talking about that at the King's English in a few weeks. So I would take The Giver. The, the Giver. Tell us a little bit about that. So the Giver is by Lois Lowry. Um, many people are familiar with her. She's been an author that um, has been used in the schools and has been popular with children and adults for years. The Giver is a dystopia book um, that reads almost as a utopia at the beginning. It's nicely paired with um, books like 1984, for example, 
but is really geared for a younger audience and uh, speaks a lot about community and culture um, and ways we live today. Mm, that sounds great. Uh, Gene Nelson, What uh, you'd probably have a, an armful of books as well, but what's at the top of your list? Oh, at least an armful, if not a cartful, uh, right. at least. You know, that's such a, a difficult question, but I'm going to pick one out. Um, I love Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, wonderful. Uh, a wonderful Caldecott winner in 1964. It set the stage for a uh, what we call a new realism, even through this little fantasy book, the magic realism book. And, uh, you know, one of, for one of the first times in a children's book, we had a, a kid kind of back talk to mom. And that just didn't happen before the early 60s, mid-60s. And it, it really kind of created a whole new storm. And it uh, is really recognized, I think, if you're to ask most people on the street, um, maybe what's your favorite picture book of all time? What, where the wild things are is going to come up on top for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, by the way, what what is it about that uh, that makes it such a such a great book? It, I think you're right. It would come up on many people's lists. What what is it about it? You know, it just, the illustrations were so incredible. Uh, Maurice Sendak was just uh, a, a master. Um, he passed away just a, a few years ago. He um, at the time when the book came out. The books themselves, the book itself, was considered to be often from some parents and and librarians and teachers to be too scary for children. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the those terrible monsters with their gnashing teeth, very sharp and awfully frightening. Things have changed, haven't they? Mm-hmm. They're pretty mild today. But back in the early '60s, it was an incredibly challenging book. But I think it also freed children and give them the idea that they could enjoy these wonderful make-believe worlds. Um, Mom's still going to love them, even at the end of the day after he mouthed off and called her names, and then he was sent up to bed without dinner. At the end of the night, his dinner was waiting for him, and it was still hot. Mm-hmm. So I think it psychologically, I think it said so much to children and parents, too. Mm. I want to list mine. Um, I, I, I still think about this. I discovered this book in the 1970s as a kid. I was surprised when I looked it up today that it was published in 1940, because uh, it's, it's still present with me. It's uh, Call It Courage by Armstrong oh, and Perry, sure. uh, a Newbery uh, uh, medal winner, a, a boy who's uh, lost his mother to the sea. This is set in Polynesia somewhere. Um, and he's been given the, the, the title of Stout Heart, but he, but he is afraid of the sea. And finally, uh, uh, people, the tribes people uh, start calling him a coward. And so he sets off in his canoe and has a great adventure and, uh, and discovers courage. Uh, that, that, it's a great I, book. I think about that from time to time still as, as an adult. So it had a great effect on me. Um, let me let me read a few of these uh, emails, and we'll d- jump into discussing uh, Newbury and, and Caldecott. Um, this is from Sandra. Sandra says, for Christmas this year, my sister gave me a copy of one of our favorite books from childhood, Come Over to My House. This relatively unknown Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss story, illustrates how children around the world play, eat, work, bathe, and generally live, celebrating both our similarities and differences. Its message uh-huh. of friendship and unity is incredibly relevant today, especially given our current political climate. Thanks for the opportunity to comment. So come over to my house, Theodore Geisel. Are either of you familiar with this one? I know that one. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Uh, 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 tell us a little bit more about, about it. Well, it's, it's, I think it's a wonderful book that uh, does exactly as Sandra 
uh, said in her email, is just a wonderful uh, get-together. Uh, a lot of, as I recall the book, a, a number of different children in the story, uh, a multicultural presentation, and um, talking as an early reader, so it was designed to in, supplement children's reading to encourage the reading and to increase their vocabulary awareness. But it also, like you said, I think, Tom, it just has this wonderful underlying discussion of uh, the importance of working together, playing together, and figuring those things out when you have a disagreement. Mm. Before I read the next uh, email, because we've got some suggestions coming in. By the way, you can uh, you can give us your list. What's, what's your favorite children's book of all time? What are you reading now? What are your kids reading? We're compiling a, a children's book list uh, as, as a UPR community. Uh, Lauren Liang, what's, what's your take on what makes a children's book great? Well, before I go to that, I'd like to just address Come Over to My House because I think it brings up some interesting conversation for children's books today. Um, it was an, you know, an Eastman or a Seuss book in that kind of beginning reading tradition. And it is out of print um, currently and, and partially out of print because it is a little dated in the depiction of the different cultures um, in the book. So though it has that message of unity and friendship, it has some problematic um, illustrations that we may or may not want to address, of course, in this program, but just something to keep in mind that when we are looking at older books, we do need to be aware about stereotypical presentation in the books. Yeah, I guess just uh, some things that would have been acceptable at the time are, are not mm -hmm. in today's culture. Are no longer now. Yeah. And just something to keep in mind as we look back at our favorite books mm -hmm. and think about the books that are available today and what messages we want to send when we're using them. Right. But to uh, the question of what makes a, a good book, I'm, I'm sure Jean gets asked this one all the time, and I do too. <laughs> and the first response is always, well, what makes a good book for adults? Because they're not that different in the sense of the question of good. Um, it's such a laden, a laden question. But, of course, um, just like for adults, you know, books that are good for children have strong vocabulary, fantastic word choice, accurate depictions, um, stories that are gripping and plausible. But one important thing in books for children is avoiding didactism, uh, making sure that we're not talking down to kids. There sometimes is an assumption that children's books are um, easier or they're faster to write, and actually it's the opposite. Gene hmm. uh, Nelson, what, what, what would you say to answer that question? What makes a children's book great? You know, I, I agree with Lauren. It was interesting as I uh, consider my uh, my Newbury experience this year that one of the things that, as Lauren ended up there, um, as I take a look at uh, specifically three novels that we chose, uh, The Girl Who Drank the Moon won the Newbury, and then Wolf Hollow was an honor in Inquisitor's Tale, I felt very strongly that all three of them um, did exactly what Lauren suggested that they they didn't talk down to children they were they were complex they had complex plot with complex fallible characters and um, so it, it, it gives I think a children a chance to have read at their level and not having feel like you're hit, being hit over the head with a mallet to either get a particular message across or a theme across. And I think the better books will do that and they'll create real characters. As I consider going, you know, thinking back to my early books as a child that I really loved, 
characterization was critical for me. It had to be a character that I really could identify with, uh, that I felt like, okay, they're either kind of like me or somebody that I know. And I think the same thing plays out very well today. That's what children are looking for. Action, characterization, um, and themes are usually a secondary issue, but they're looking for somebody they can really identify with. Mm. I want to talk about Caldecott and Newberry. These are the gold standards, right? If, if you've got that, uh, that medal on your book, that's uh, you know, it's it's going to be good, right? Um, and and we've got uh, committee members here. Uh, I think uh, let's see, Lauren Liang is on the the Caldecott committee this year, and and Gene uh, um, Nelson on the on the Newberry. Um, I want to get in a few more books here that have been coming in. You can email us, and hope you will, to upraxcess at gmail.com. We're compiling a UPR book list. This time around, it's children's books. What's your favorite children's book of all time? Maybe there's a new title you can suggest. Give us your list at upraxcess at gmail.com, or you can call us to 800-826-1495. Upraxcess at gmail.com or 800-826-1495. Here's a couple of suggestions from Joy. Joy uh, says, The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster is a must-read and reread. It's If it's been a while, read it again and bask in the beauty of language. I'm hearing some uh, some uh, hmms of recognition for both of you. You bet. Um, yeah, that's a favorite. Uh, uh, Lauren, uh, tell me a little bit about it. Well, I mean, the best way to understand it is to think of entering to a world as a child where everybody's telling you about idioms and math rules, and you're going to try to figure that out, and you're along on the ride. Gene, I'll let you add to that. Oh, it's uh, it, the vocabulary in and of itself is enough to draw attention to it. A lot of children today may not go to that as a first choice, Um it's you know slightly dated, I think a little bit, and it's been a while since it came out. And I've I've found that even in my I bet Lauren has found it too in my children's literature classes I teach uh, adjunct for BYU, is that um, a lot of the kids now that are becoming teachers, so they're in their late late teens, early twenties at BYU, um, a lot of the classics they're unaware of. And I think Phantom Tollbooth it would be one that would be a wonderful read aloud uh, in a class, particularly, say, a fourth or fifth grade, sixth grade class, because of the language. All right, and here's another uh, suggestion from uh, from Joy. Uh, Joy says, Janitors by Utah author Tyler Whitesides. Uh, notable because, unlike so many fantasy books for children, the child heroes are not orphaned, but actually have parents that take an interest <laughs> in saving the world with them. Also, it might help students uh, appreciate school, a great classroom read aloud. It's Janitors by Utah author Tyler Whitesides. Uh, uh -huh. And Joy goes on to say, I wish I had time to add more. Look forward to streaming your program after work. Thanks, Joy. Appreciate that. So are either of you um, familiar with Janitors by Tyler Whitesides? Yes, and he Lauren, have you read it? in northern Utah. So I don't know, if, Tyler, if you're listening, you can call us. I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'd love to hear from you, Tyler, if you're if you're listening. Uh, sounds like a great read, and and a kind of pushing back against the the trend of you know child heroes are often orphaned. Um, I wonder about uh, trends. Let me start uh, with Gene uh, Nelson on this one. Um, you mentioned uh, where the wild things are is maybe you know has become tamer than it was when it first came out. I is there a trend in children's literature to th those books getting darker? That's an interesting question. I think certainly 
I believe particularly books for the, the middle grade reader and up are becoming a little darker, if you would. I think they're becoming more challenging. I think children's literature is uh, reflects many things that's going on in society. I believe very strongly that things that are happening in our world today, because of books like Wild Things, Snowy Day, and other books that came out in the 60s and late 50s, that really kind of opened the doors for more critical perspectives of the world around them. And so in today's world, in children's books, um, there's a lot of discussion about divorce, abuse, a lot of those things for those older readers and children's that uh, children are dealing with that's being talked about in the world. And so I think subsequently it has become a little bit darker. I remember as a, a youngster, I was, I was a huge Hardy Boy fan. Absolutely loved them. I read them all. I still have a bunch of them at home in a box somewhere. And it was pretty tame compared to today. Um, parents were there good buddies, they solve the mysteries, and they move on to the next one. And we still find some books like that, but a lot of them are dealing with some pretty tough topics out there that kids are dealing with in their lives. Lauren, what do you think on this uh, subject? Has it gotten darker, I guess, reflected the reality of the world? I think, yeah, I think Jean's captured that nicely. I mean, there are other trends going on with children's books as well, but perhaps not so much darker as just um, the contemporary realistic fiction as a genre is dealing more in contemporary times. Um, I mean, Where the Wild Things is also a great one to go back to and think about how it recast children um, in the history of children's literature where suddenly we have Max, who's a really real kid. He gets angry. He gets mad. He's not all sweet. Um, And we've seen that increase since that time all the way through now so that we have real kids in our contemporary fiction and they do have buddies and they do solve adventures but they also have very real experiences that many of our um, kids today are going through. I even think back to Ramona Quimby, age 8 where there's Mm -hmm. a wonderful chapter in there that talks about Ramona's experience before she even gets into her seat in the classroom where she's had an upsetting bus ride and a child made fun of her and she's worried that her dad and her mom are going to lose their jobs, and she's worried about all sorts of things that kids really do worry about and think about. And there's an acceptance or um, almost a not-afraidness, which isn't a word, but mm-hmm. something to consider in how we depict our young readers, or sorry, our young protagonists in our contemporary fiction books today. But there are also trends um, that affects that. There's a rising amount of graphic um, format, graphic novel format. There's a mm-hmm. rise in genre blurs, a rise in picture books breaking the fourth wall and being aware of the reader. And all of those things combine to perhaps cast a little, if you want to use the word darker, we still have a lot of humor, but perhaps just um, grittiness would be another word to use. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that helps kids to uh, to, to make sense of the world, right? It's uh, If it's... It's depicting a real world, and that helps them better to navigate that world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I would say so. And, you know, we can always think um, of Rudine Sims Bishop's statements about mirrors and windows so that our books allow kids to see a mirror into themselves and their experiences and who they are, a window into other people's experiences. 
I mean, it's brought up so often as the quote that captures much of children's literature, and I think there's a real awareness of the need for that. Gene Nelson, you you mentioned the Hardy Boys, and I, I think as I look back, and I'm not I'm not sure if this is being colored by my middle-aged self or not, but I <laughs> my my possibly false memory is that even when I was reading those books as a kid. There was a bit of nostalgia. It was it, it's a safe space, right? Even sure. even if my life wasn't that safe, this was a safe space. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you, and I think uh, a lot of children's literature even today will do that for us as well. You know, I want to tag on to something that Lauren's talking about too. Is oh, back about forty years ago, um, a term came out that was was really popular for a while called bibliotherapy and the use of books as a therapeutic tool. And um, and I think there's so much of that in literature. I, w- I was asked the other day about books that help reveal who I was a- as a reader. And, and I started really thinking about that, about these books that I saw myself, and I think children do that re- inherently and immediately. They start seeing themselves, and I think a quality piece of literature for children as long as it doesn't become too didactic a quality piece of literature will help children and now you mentioned tom help navigate the world it's a tough world out there and will give them options it will give them things that they can reflect upon in a, a, a cathartic sort of way without maybe having to make that decision and go through that they can see how a character goes through a particularly tough situation and maybe help them with some new tools as well. I think that's one of the great values of quality children's literature. Let's take a break. When we come back more on children's literature, and we're asking you for your list. We're compiling a UPR community a book list, this time on children's books. What's your favorite children's book of all time? Or uh, if you're like my guest today, you you can't narrow it down to one. What's your list? What are you reading now? What uh, maybe some new ones or forgotten ones that you'd like to suggest? You can get your list to us at upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Or you can call us at uh, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. We are also on uh, Twitter at UPR Access, and uh, we are talking with uh, University of Utah Associate Professor of Educational Psychology, Lauren Liang. She is uh, on the committee for the Caldecott Medal, and uh, Gene Nelson, director of the Provo Library, he's on the Newbery Medal, and uh, they're going to be headlining, along with Utah author Ali Condi, an event presented by the Salt Lake Tribune and King's English Bookshop, celebrating the Newbery Medal and great children's literature. And that is happening at King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, November 21st, from 7 to 9 p.m. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members, and support for science reporting on Utah Public Radio comes from the Utah State University Ecology Center providing training opportunities for today's science communicators one story at a time. This is Science by the Slice. When discussing how one species evolved into two or more distinct species, scientists often surmise the uplift of mountains, which split populations of plants and animals, was a contributing factor. Not so fast, says USU entomologist James Pitts. You might expect this of desert species, where the terrain is typically isolated by mountain ranges. But for some organisms, he says, evidence points to glaciations that occurred during the Ice Age. 
A foremost scholar of wasps known as velvet ants, Pitts compared molecular data from modern-day ants with data collected from fossils and says the findings support the idea that relatively recent glacial action rather than ancient mountain formation led to new species. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in the sciences and mathematics. Details at usu.edu slash science. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Uh, from time to time, we gather as a UPR community to compile a book list, and today we're uh, concentrating on children's books. So we're asking you, what are you reading to your kids? Uh, what are your children reading? What's your favorite children's book of all time? How about a new title or something you've just discovered that you'd like to share with us? And we're talking uh, with Provo Library Director Gene Nelson. Uh, he is on the Newbury Medal Committee and University of Utah Associate Professor of Educational Psychology, Lauren Liang. She is on the Caldecott uh, Committee. They, along with Utah author Ali Condi, are headlining an event uh, presented by the Salt Lake Tribune and King's English Bookshop, celebrating the Newbery Medal and great children's literature. And that event is November 21st from 7 to 9 p.m. at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. And uh, so your list of uh, great children's books uh, is what we're looking for to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Or you can call us to 800-826-1495. And we're on Twitter at UPR Access. And that's where Alyssa has retweeted uh, Amy's tweet. Uh, This suggestion, if you give a mouse a cookie by Lara Numeroff. Um, uh, Amy also suggests uh, the Harry Potter books and Ender's Game. Amy says they had a big influence on me as a kid, and I continue to read them now. Uh, so Gene Nelson and Lauren Liang, um, the Harry Potter books, of course. That's you know, it's it's a cultural phenomenon now. It's a bit of fun to talk about it today, um, because in a special class we have right now at the U, it, um, it's titled "The World of Children's Literature," and it's in part of a two-year initiative we have going on um, at the U right now. We are discussing Harry Potter and. We're having an interesting time with the undergraduates because so many of them grew up with the series and the fandom and the movies. So it's um, a bit tricky to talk about individual books. I'm yeah. sure um, Jean's experienced that at the library. It's just such a cultural phenomena for our time. Yeah, what, what's the experience with the library? That I guess it comes in waves, right? The new books come out and uh, uh, new movies come it, out as it, well. It was incredible here in Provo. Um, when they, when uh, the Harry Potter books started catching on, we were ordering many, 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 many copies to try to keep up with the demand of it. And, you know, uh, like Lauren and, and others that are listening, I've been reading all my life, and I've been involved with children's literature for a number of decades. There's never, in my experience, in anything even close like a Harry Potter phenomenon. There's been popular books. But the Harry Potter world just, it brought so many children and adults back to reading mm. and to reading. I remember a young man in my neighborhood, one of my son's uh, friends, who uh, came over and borrowed a copy. Uh, he couldn't get a copy to the school library because they're all checked out. He knew I had some. And it was the first novel. He was in fourth or fifth grade. It was the first novel he ever completed. He was so incredibly proud of himself and became a reader. Mm-hmm. All because of Harry Potter. 
Yeah, that that that's that's high praise. That's uh, for for a book. Yeah, it uh, is an interesting book to think about. I taught it in '98 and '99 before it was popular. Um, I was teaching middle school, and I often tell students today that I had to ask the local Barnes and Noble if I could come in before the, the store opened the day the third book was released and get a copy because I knew my students would want to read it. Mm. And they thought, oh, you can just wait to the end of the day and get it then. I said, no, they'll really want to read it. And then, of course, by the time the fourth book rolled around, there were release parties and all sorts of things. So mm. it really is something else and something I think that comes to uh, many people's minds when they're asked about children's literature. Let's go to a caller, uh, Jennifer in Vernal. Jennifer, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your uh, with your suggestions. Yeah, apparently, apparently, uh, you uh, professional people were talking about this before um, the show went on the air. But uh, I, you know, I Charlotte's Web was the big tearjerker, and and then uh, and then the Phantom Trollbooth. My sister even gave me the thirty first. I can't speak the thirty fifth anniversary edition of the Phantom Tollbooth. But when I was in D.C. with my daughter and those grandkids there, I read, Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. And it's just a killer because it's basically about boundaries and manipulation, and it's just hysterical. So if anybody um, is in my age group and they missed, you know, some some books in a, in a time frame that wasn't corresponding with their kids, I highly recommend <laughs> Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. It's killer funny. So, anyway, all right. Thanks for letting me mention that one. Okay. Uh, Thanks, Jennifer. Um, Hopefully, my guest caught the last book. I I wasn't familiar with that one. Um, So, Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. Oh, Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. Okay. That um, Jennifer mentioned. And that's Mo Willems, who has, um, in addition to those books and Nuffle Bunny, which was some Caldecott winners there, he also is really well known for the Elephant and Piggy series. Um, I think that in most libraries, it's almost a whole, sh- whole shelf, if I'm correct, Gene. Like those elephant piggy books sort of take Absolutely. over the shelves there. And, and tough to keep in stock. Mo has a, a wonderful way of his humor is hysterical. I think he, he really – he used to write for Sesame Street, so he really understands the humor of a younger child. And but he also knows how to get the humor of an adult into the storyline. That sometimes that humor just goes whoop, zips over the kids' heads, but the adults that are reading it and sharing it with their child or a group of children, they are they keep engaged and having fun because of the humor aimed at them. And the more we can keep adults engaged with children's literature, they're more, the more they're going to want to read them with their children. Mm. And I think uh, Willems is a master at that. Let's uh, get a few more uh, titles in. We, the the uh, email and phone lines are heating up. And that's exactly what we want. We want to compile an, a nice uh, children's uh, book list. Uh, these are suggestions from uh, our own uh, friend Weller, our, our uh, chief engineer here. He's suggesting the story of Ping and the Little Red Lighthouse and the Great Gray Bridge. Uh, friend, I'm not not familiar with those. Um, Gina Lauren, oh, are, are you? Oldies. Yeah, that's uh, some um, the story of Ping and the Little Red Lighthouse and the Great Gray Bridge. So, Eugene, you are familiar with those. Uh, I certainly know the story of Ping. Okay. Um, Little Red Lighthouse. I'm trying to. There's a vague memory back there somewhere, and the, the Gray Gray. That's a that's a real oldie. Um, I'm just pulling it up right now online. Oh, Lynn Ward did the illustrations. 
she was a, a former uh, Caldecott winner herself. I remember the book, but I'll have to re- admit it's been it's been years since I read that, so I can't remember much about it. Okay. Or well, any remembrance? Yeah. You well, it was an old golden book. I thought at some point uh-huh. too. Um, but they are they're they're both older books, um, and you know they still have great appeal for many people and go back to them. Ping, I know much better than Little Red. Um, Lighthouse, oh. although I just remember it being in the Golden Book. Okay. <laughs> All right. Great. Thank you. Um, let's see. We um, we have some more coming in uh, from our Twitter account, which is at UPR Access. This suggestion, The Missing Piece by Shel Silverstein. Mm. I'm not sure if you guys are uh, familiar with that one. I'll jump in real fast. I love Shel Silverstein. I think he is, uh, uh, in my mind, maybe the premier poet uh, we often forget about poetry for his children, but wow, we have some incredible things. And Silverstein is a, can be a bit irreverent uh, at times, and some might be put off by that, but uh, children love that that attitude that he has, a little chip on his shoulder. And uh, uh, I think Missing Peace and Where the Slide Sidewalk Ends and Light in the Attic are, are wonderful, wonderful collections I use all the time. And by the way, that suggestion came in from Krista. I want to uh, credit her. Uh, this came, this comes in from uh, Catherine. Catherine says, when my kids were younger, we bought a box of Cheerios that had a copy of Everybody Needs a Rock by Bird Baylor inside. Oh, my. It, it, it goes, <laughs> it's in Cheerios. In Cheerios. I wasn't familiar with they ever did that. Uh, Catherine goes on to say, it goes through ten steps, how to pick the perfect rock. It is one book that we continue to keep in our collection because it reminds us of our love of nature. It's one of our favorites. Everybody Needs a Rock by Bird Baylor. And there were a number of books that came through Cheerios um, several times, actually. And it, even when my own, I have three children, and when they were younger, we were buying Cheerio boxes that had the books. And, I, of course, I was picking the ones that had the books I liked better. Oh, um, good, good. And there was even a McDonald's for a while had given away children's yes. books. I believe it's Popeye, Popeye's maybe right now who's giving away some as well. Oh, okay. Uh, I was never familiar with the, with those giveaways, but uh, yeah. uh, apparently uh, you're familiar with that, and of course Catherine is as, as well. Uh, let's see. Let me uh, go to uh, some other suggestions here. This comes in on uh, Twitter from uh, Natalie. She she uh, she says, "Go dog, go." Is that a is that sure. a, is that a title? I, <laughs> I'm not familiar with that one. I wasn't sure whether she was <laughs> she was encouraging yeah, us all to go. Those, but, uh, okay, go dog, go. <laughs> It was one of those books that was kind of a, a very much a Seuss-alike book, and um, a lot of little kids. This is the story of these, this dog in this car, and dogs and cars that just go, go, go. And I have a couple of grandchildren that they, it has to have a car or a truck in it. And uh, this is just absolutely perfect for that beginning reader. Been around since, oh my gosh, I think the early 60s, um, by P.D. Eastman. Okay, I'll have to check it's that one out. One of my favorites, and actually the Salt Lake Acting Company um, did the uh, play of Go Dog Go in uh, 2000. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So if oh, really? If they want to revive that, apparently there's interest, but oh. it's one of my <laughs> favorites. So. I, I think I'd go to that production. Uh, let's see, uh, we had a caller, uh, Joyce, uh, left a message over the phone. Uh, she suggests uh, Beezus and Ramona, and also the Random House Book of Poetry. Oh, sure. And those are the Bees and Ramona. Those are uh, great books. Uh, I'm not familiar with the Family House. Clearly, clearly is still, I think, a, a terrific uh, 
uh, author to send children to and is perfect for that, uh, I think, that second, third grade good reader. And the Random House collection of poetry is one I have on my shelf that I will often pull poetry out for various classes and presentations because it's a terrific collection. I agree with her. Let's see, Jennifer has uh, emailed us. She says, hello, one of my favorite books is Anthony Brown's picture book, Voices in the Park. What do the guests think of this picture book? Uh, let me let me start with uh, Lauren on this one. Are you familiar with Voices in the Park? I am, and it's a beautiful book and really has a way of bringing the reader in um, to the story and being actually almost with the protagonist in there. Okay. Mm-hmm. and uh, there, There's some wonderful perspectives in the illustrations as well that uh, is just, just terrific, even... As I recall the cover, uh, looking down a, a lane through some trees, that gives a, a great feeling of depth and perspective as you look down that lane. That uh, Anthony Brown's a great illustrator as well. And that really, that really makes uh, the book. Let, let's pause briefly here to, and I'll start with Lauren on this one. Uh, Caldecott. Caldecott focuses on illustration, illustrated books. Is that the is that the emphasis? Um, Yes, it's picture books, and a little bit different from what we'd call an illustrated book. Um, A picture book, is we often think of it as being one word. It's the easier way to remember. So the pictures tell us things the text does not, and the text tells us things the pictures do not, and it comes together to create a visual experience. So in the Caldecott, we are looking... um, at books that have a collective unity of storyline or theme or concept, but it's developed through the series of pictures. Um, so that is what we look for. So a book like Voices in the Park does offer the types of experiences we look for in a Caldecott winner. And you're uh, you're on the Caldecott committee at this point? I was on oh, the 2017, 2017 committee, so okay. I selected the winners for January. And Jean has been on in the past as well. I okay. don't know the year, Jean. Uh, I served in 2000 and 2010 on the Caldecotts. Yeah. Wonderful experience. It's it's high stakes, right? If you, Like I said, if you have that medal on the book, I, I imagine it sells better. What uh, what was that experience like? Start, uh, start with uh, Gene. Uh, serving the committee was absolutely incredible. You know, it's when you get 15 people together that know a lot about picture books, know a lot about illustrations, and um, and you walk away knowing so much more um, to put underneath your on on your belt and you've you've worked hard and you've you've learned more from everybody else's perspectives but you know i you, you brought up the idea of the the standard that it said it really does set a standard and um, and quite often when you have the winners announced if you try to order those books online you can't because they're sold out very quickly mm. And so you have to kind of wait. Matter of fact, we're still waiting for some of the books that were winners in January uh, for that new publication because, of course, the publishers don't know. They don't have a clue that their book is going to win. And so some of them are caught off guard. Um, and it's such a standard, and it's a, it's, it helps the publisher tremendously so they can create new books. The illustrator, it is – they are – will be forever enshrined almost as a hall of fame as one of the call to cop winners and it can make and break a career in many ways don't you think Lauren? oh definitely and it's it um it's such a wonderful experience as jean said to go through those conversations with others in the field as we try to determine 
um, what are the best of these books for the year. And, of course, we always say, you know, the committee came up with one decision and it could have easily been another one with another mm-hmm. group of people. And so there, um, I always like to recommend that people look at the ALA Notable Book List, too, because that's where we have all the winners and all the honors and other books that might be recognized as well. Um, but one of the things with these medals that's so interesting is the um, marketing piece behind it and makes for great conversations um, as you think about the selling of the book and, and how these books become popular and why they become popular and sold more. It is still very difficult to get some of the books on the list, as Jean said, and um, it does rocket these books up to the best-selling um, category for Amazon, for example. There's another email I want to get in uh, first and want to move to, uh, uh, before we end the program, to the Newbery Medal. Uh, Jean Nelson is, I think, is on, the, on the committee there. Uh, the 2017 winner of the Caldecott, Radiant Child, a story of young artist Jean-Michel Basquiat, uh, illustrated, written by, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name, Javaka Septo. Mm-hmm. That's it. Oh, okay. Uh, tell us a bit about this book. So this was the winner for the Caldecott this year and focuses on, on the artist and, and a little bit more on his earlier life. Um, it does touch on some of the challenges that he faced as a child and how that influenced the style that he chose. Um, I think many young readers are not familiar with this artist. Um, I think more adults are familiar with who he is now. Um, but it hints at throughout the book um, the way his art was developing and how he started so young. What's so fascinating about it is the way the illustrations were created. It's always very difficult to have a picture book about an artist because you're, you don't want to replicate the artist's work, yet you have to interpret that in a way that makes sense for that illustrator. And Septo worked on this book for quite a long time. There's a lovely video online um, from the New York Times having him demonstrate some of the techniques he used in creating it. I want to get in uh, this email that I skipped over, and I apologize. Uh, this, uh, this is from Boris. Uh, Boris has emailed us, uh, and uh, his favorite is The Sneeches on the Beaches is one of my favorite books. Not because it teaches a very important message of inclusion and not letting our differences divide us. I just really idolized that guy with the star on the machine uh, who comes along to stir things up. He was one heck of a businessman. But I guess the the love between different cultures is good, too. That's Sneeches on the Beaches. You, I think uh, from your laughter you're familiar with that, or I'm not sure. Yes, I, mean, yeah, I, I remember. Features, it's, a, it's a lot right. of fun. It's a very humorous book. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. Thanks for that, Boris. And this has just come in from Barbara. Barbara says you mentioned Bird Baylor, but uh, don't forget her illustrator for so many of her books, uh, Peter uh, Parnell. Parnell. His illustrations encourage observation of nature and our place in it. Stunning and original, he illustrated over 75 memorable and still popular children's books. So don't forget uh, Peter Parnell. Uh, I, I love Parnell's work. It's uh, particularly I grew up in the West and in desert area uh, in Arizona, and boy, can he capture the feeling of the the plateaus and the desert. And uh, I agree. A couple of Bert Baylor, uh, some stunning books that I'm afraid a lot of kids and teachers have forgotten about. We need to bring them back. Uh, and are you familiar with this one, uh, Lauren? Yes, of course. I mean, it's, it's a classic illustration. I think 
I see Annie and the old one sometimes still being used mm-hmm. in classrooms, but I would agree with you, Gene. You don't see as many of his illustrated books um, out there. I, I think most of them are probably still in print. Mm. Well, let's uh, take a brief uh, break, and when we come back, more. And we're looking for your list. Maybe maybe one, the, your, the best children's book you ever read, or a whole list uh, from, from the past and the, the present. I would love to know uh, your suggestions. We're compiling a UPR book list, this time concentrating on children's literature. And uh, you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And we are uh, talking uh, with Gene Nelson, who is director of the Provo Library, and the University of Utah professor Lauren Liang. And uh, they uh, have and uh, are on uh, committees, uh, Caltecott and Newberry committees. They are, along with Ali Condi, headlining an event presented by Salt Lake Tribune and King's English Bookshop, celebrating the Newberry Medal and great children's literature. And that event is at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, November 21st from 7 to 9 p.m. We've got them for another 10 minutes and hope to uh, hear your list as well to upraxis at gmail.com. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members, and Dr. Paul Schmidt, Internal Medicine at the Butch Clinic. Health services including diabetes management, weight loss, and nutritional guidance. Office hours and appointment information available at 435-716-1980. And Science Unwrapped in USU's College of Science. This Friday at 7 in the Eccles Science Learning Center. Science Fact, Science Fiction. With USU physicist Maria Rodriguez, information at usu.edu slash unwrapped. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Partners in Business Data Analytics Conference. Stay dynamic, stay ahead, offering various levels of tracks and sessions in data analytics. Thursday, February 16th at the USU Eccles Conference Center. Details at partners.usu.edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We have with us uh, University of Utah Professor Lauren Liang and uh, Gene Nelson, Director of the Provo Library. We talk about children's books, and we're compiling a UPR, a community book list, this time concentrating on children's books. What's the best children's book you ever read? Uh, what are you reading to your kids right now? What are your kids reading? And uh, give us your list. Uh, UPRAxis at gmail.com. UPRAxis at gmail.com is the place to go. And here is an email from MK who says, I can't believe no one has uh, has mentioned Roald Dahl. He's my all-time favorite author. Matilda and the BFG are my personal favorites. So, yeah, I, I can't believe no one's mentioned that. As, well, you've rectified that, MK. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, of course, it, uh, you, you certainly can't talk about children's literature without talking about Roald Dahl yeah. and the impact that he's had. Wonderful, uh, subversive sense of humor. He uh, Kids love him. Adults love him. Um, there's there's just so many out there um, that are absolutely wonderful over the years. I was just talking with my secretary before we started. Well, gosh, how do you pin down your favorites of the past 50 years? There's just so many. Certainly, Roll Dahl is, is one of the the great ones. Yeah, he he certainly is. Let's go to a caller. This is Elaine uh, who has called us. This is uh, I believe this is Elaine that's usually sitting next to me on the book programs when we're doing the uh, the, the more general book programs. Um, so, right. uh, so, and we'll be doing one of those. We'll be doing one of those again soon, and uh, Elaine will be sitting here in studio with me. So, Elaine, what what are your suggestions? Well, I only tuned in late, so I hope I'm not repeating something that's already been suggested. But um, there are several Native American children's books. Um, the the author I know best is Michael Lacapa. He was um, Hopi and Apache, 
and he wrote, his first book was called The Mouse Couple, and he took um, Native American stories and illustrated, he was an incredible artist, I, he passed away some years ago, but he, he, would, he illustrated these beautiful books, and um, The Mouse Couple was the first one, and then he had a couple others, and I'm, not, I'm on the road, so I'm not recalling the other titles. And then the, um, right here in Utah, the uh, Shoshone tribe, um, they released their own um, children's book a couple of years ago, and the title escapes me, but the, uh, the Northwestern Band of Shoshone, you could check with them and get that title. Maybe the librarians know what I'm talking about. Okay, well, uh, thanks, Elaine. And uh, Elaine, when you get to a computer, maybe you could email those to us. We'll put, a, put it on the website. All right, I'll uh, find them, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Elaine, appreciate that. You know, Tom, one of the, I think one of the real disservices that's happening right now is particularly with, uh, I appreciate Elaine's comments, uh, the Native American perspective and their work. Through the traditional large publishers, we see very, very little of those come out and uh, that depict the Native American experience. There's a lot of smaller regional presses. Many of the uh, tribal units will have their own books. But sometimes it's very difficult for the librarians and teachers to order those. So I'm hoping that that those can get more inclusive into the larger publishers. And so we'll make it uh, just a more awareness of the wonderful work that many Native Americans are doing in the children's field. But if you just go to the mainline publishers, you rarely see a thing. Rarely see a thing. Mm. I appreciate uh, Elaine's comments. We just have about uh, two or three minutes left. Uh, Lauren Liang, I want to give you uh, just a minute or two to uh, talk about a interesting initiative going on there at University of Utah dealing with children's literature. So we have a two-year project. It's called the University Professorship, and it really allows um, a selected professor at the university, or in this case it's a partnership with myself and a um, professor from English, to uh, offer an undergraduate class on a topic of interest to them. In the past, there's been things um, like secrecy was one, um, different topics. And for the next this year and next year, it is the world of children's literature. And uh, Professor Ann Jamison and I are offering both an undergraduate class on that topic, but also a series of lectures um, from authors and editors and academics and others in the children's literature field. It's not your traditional children's lit class for teachers um, or prospective teachers or for English majors. It's actually meant to include everybody in large part um, because children's literature is part of everyone's world as well. So we look at the marketing side of things. We look at the philosophy in children's literature. We look at what makes a good book. Um, and it's an opportunity for undergrads to get involved in a topic that they probably have a lot of interest in but maybe isn't part of their major. Um, for example, this semester we'll be bringing in um, Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, who is a professor at Penn and does quite a lot of work on diversity and representation of race in children's literature. In April, we'll be bringing in Gita Vera Derajan, who's a co-author of a book called Save Me a Seat. Um, that talks about bullying, and in, in particular intercultural bullying in elementary school. And then later in April, we'll be bringing in uh, Ruth Behar and Nancy Paulson, who is a well-known editor from Penguin. And Ruth has, has her first book coming out, and she's also a professor of anthropology. 
Um, so it's a great opportunity, and we welcome people in the community to come up to these events as well, and they can learn more about it by emailing me or going on to the university website, too. We just have uh, about a minute and a half left, maybe 20 seconds each. Uh, uh, give us another of your favorite children's books of all time, uh, starting with uh, Gene Nelson. Oh, you know, uh, let me pick one out. Uh, David Shannon is a favorite illustrator and author. He has a, a wonderful picture book. It's been out for, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years called Duck on a Bike. I've had the opportunity to, to uh, present this and read this book to a lot of Head Start groups, and it's by far their favorite book. A lot of interaction between the reader and the children, a lot of animal sounds, some great humor. Highly recommend Duck on a Bike. Lauren, uh, it's 20 seconds, so uh, another your favorite books. Um, I'm going to go with one of the winners from the Caldecott for this year. It was the honor book, They All Saw a Cat, by Brendan Wenzel. And I recommend it because it really looks at perspective and empathy and how we all look at things a little bit differently and need to better understand how other people look at things as well. Okay, say the title again. They All Saw a Cat. They all saw a cat. That sounds it sounds good. Uh, I'll just do a parting shot. Uh, I I love the Great Brain series, uh, John D. Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, lost myself in those as a kid. Um, well, uh, thank you very much. We've compiled a good list here, I think, and uh, we appreciate very much uh, University of Utah Professor Lauren Liang. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It was very fun. And uh, Gene Nelson, Director of the Provo Library. Thank you. Thank you. Had a great time. And uh, they, along with Ali Condi, Utah author, will headline an event that's uh, at the King's English Bookshop. They'll be celebrating the Newbery Medal in Great uh, Children's Literature, presented by the Salt Lake Tribune. That's the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, November 21st, 7 to 9 p.m. And we'll have this list up on our website uh, shortly. Thank you so much for listening to Access Utah. I'm Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, imagine you're a kid who grows up to become a professional athlete, and now your mom thinks she's entitled to a share of your new riches. She just said I owe a million dollars. And you know, because I had you, I raised you. Maybe kids should pay back their parents for raising them. And that's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Join us Thursday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan.